Hello, this is Laura Camacho, and this is episode 169 of the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, number three in the world for communication podcasts. Such exciting news. And we have a great guest today, a celebrity of sorts. Her name is Shelby Scarborough, and she's an entrepreneur and author and a speaker who's associated with the Harvard School of Entrepreneurial Studies. But listen to this, like she started off as a political appointee in the Reagan and Bush administrations. She was she was first organizing presidential trips. Uh, she was a protocol officer at the U.S. Department of State. But listen, she has worked with Pope John Paul II, Presidents Reagan, Bush, Ford, Carter, Nixon, President Valenza of Poland, and Queen Elizabeth II, may she rest in peace, the whole royal family, Margaret Thatcher, and Nelson Mandela. So, I mean, and that's just part of her background. This, that, I thought that was the most juicy part. So I'm really excited. Uh, Shelby and I are going to talk about protocol. We're going to talk about civility, all kinds of things that we're, we're going to get this to benefit from her experience up there in the with all these not just celebrities but these are like people that everybody on the planet knows and just to remind you this episode is brought to you by the practical guide to effective communication get recognized for the value you already contribute this is my masterpiece book it's so full of great communication. It's not just tips. It's like a whole different way of thinking about it. And the best part is the chapters are organized by use case. So if you have a meeting, you go to that chapter. If you have a high stakes conversation, you go to that chapter. If you feel like you're not hitting the right emotional tone in your communication, you go to that chapter. It's exceedingly practical because I'm a practical woman. Anyway, I'm excited. Let's now talk to Miss Shelby. So Shelby, you must be like the most organized person because I organizing these trips for presidents and other big shots. I just can't imagine, you know, where nothing, there has to be what plan B, plan C, plan D and dealing with protocols. And now you're in the entrepreneurial space. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. Right out of college, I started at the White House, which was sort of not your typical starting point for an entry-level job, but it was a fantastic experience. I was in presidential advance, so I got to travel around and plan the the careers of, uh, plan the careers, plan the events of President Reagan and with a team. I was part of a team, so I got that experience as well. But, you know, the standards were very high. Excellence wasn't good enough, basically. Perfection was expected. And I have lots of fun stories of how I fell, fell short in that area. <laughs> but I'm happy to share any one yeah. of them. No, tell, tell us a story about, oh, about sure. that. I was in Germany on the very first international trip, and it was really my very first experience working with the president's schedule. So my job was one, there were four of us who did the same job, and we were almost never in the same place at the same time because on big trips, we were spread out. So I had to put together the schedule, the line-by-line schedule, the details every five minutes, you know, move here, do this, take 10 steps. I mean, everything like that. So it was sort of translating everything that was happening into a script in a sense. And, and it was not just the script for the president, but the script for the staff too. So in this particular case, we had helicopters 
and motorcades, which we always had motorcade, but we had multiple helicopters. It was just a very crazy schedule. It came out about this thick and when it was called a mini. So we had the mini, everybody carried around this little mini. Well, it was like a Bible. It was so thick, you know, the very, very last thing we did when we finished the schedule was create the president's personal schedule from that. So it was his kind of one, two, three, four page document. So in this case, it was for the next day and it was a one page document. And I, we didn't have, remember, we didn't have fax machines. We didn't have email. We didn't have printers just everywhere. And so we had a staff office in one part of Bonn and the president Reagan was taking a break at the deputy chief of missions house across town. And it was evening traffic. And he was there for a certain period of time. That was the moment that the personal aide was going to go over his schedule for the next day with him. So I, I didn't do it because I was such a beginner that my colleague actually did the personal schedule because she had had more experience with it, but she gave it to me and said, look, this is your trip. You go over there and you deliver it. So I get in a car and I go, we, you know, we had a car motor a carpool or whatever. And we went over there and I went over to, across town through traffic, handed it to my boss. And he looked at it and said, there's a typo. And I never even looked at it. You know, I never even looked at it. I just, because I trusted this person, she'd been doing right. it forever. And I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. I mean, uh, but, but yeah. it was, I, I should have looked at it. It was my responsibility, you know, and it was my trip, my responsibility. So then I go, oh my gosh. So we call over landline, call the landline in the hotel. I'm coming back. Can you reprint it as a typo? Fix this typo. Go, I get back across town get the thing, rush, rush, rush. She comes out, meets me at the front, hands it to me. I go back. Don't look at it. Oh my gosh. And my boss holds it up and says, the M didn't print. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, it was there. It was like an imprint, but it was not. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I lost it. I was so tired. It was, it was, if people remember history, it was when the president went to Bonn, Germany, there was a thing called Bitburg Cemetery. And there was a lot of controversy about his visit. We had to go in the middle of the night to check out whether who was buried there. I mean, it was, we were up all night. I never slept. It was my first experience. So I lost it. I just, I just started crying. And I'm, 20, <laughs> I'm 22 years old, you know, and I thought I'm going to be fired now because my very first thing. So next thing I know, they they say, Shelby, can you come out here? And they, they take me out on the lawn and there's like four people out on the lawn at the residence and they were all spread apart. And in the end, five minutes later, the president walked out and came up and greeted every one of us individually. And I, <laughs> I think I had mascara down to here and <laughs> bags under my eyes. I'm thinking, this is how I'm meeting the president after screwing up the schedule. But, oh, that <laughs> it, is you know, so funny. We all survived those things. That is so not, you know, world peace. Um, it is so not the big issue, but the expectation was very high. And, yes. uh, wow. and I, learned, I learned to have a high bar for, for professionalism along the way. So. I bet. And the thing is the cost of correcting that typo compared to how it is now. Oh my gosh. That reminds me way, way, way. When, when I was little, my mom would write up a poem for Christmas. And that if they, if you made a change, like it was like a big deal to, you couldn't just delete and, and print it again. It was a big deal, but, but exactly that's not how it is today. Today, it's very easy to change things. So, exactly. so how did you get from protocol to um, what you're doing now? I was a, um, well, I went from the state, from the White House to the State Department, and then I got out of uh, government and I decided I didn't know exactly um, what to do, except that I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I was, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So I started my own business and all I knew how to do was, you know, 
programs for dignitaries. <laughs> right. So I, um, that's what I ended up doing. I started practical protocol and for the, it still exists. And for many, many years, I traveled around setting up the events for high level dignitaries, ministers of state, ministers of health, communications, technology, that kind of thing, trying to help them buy American in most cases right. uh, or big events, you know, sometimes big political dinners or, or, um, you know, other other kinds of things like working with Pope John Paul II was actually taking him to a to consecrated children's hospital in Krakow, Poland. It was part of a, an organization that called Project Hope that put it together that built the, the wing of the oh, okay. hospital that Pope came to consecrate it. So mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time doing um, all the details around the lives of dignitaries, making not making their lives easier, but making it taking away, I say, taking away all the noise around what they do so that they could focus on their primary mission and what they were there to do, not how they were going to get there, not what time, not what you just, you know, exactly what they were supposed to be doing, which helped them be their best selves. Absolutely. That is so interesting. And, um, you know, we just don't realize that these uh, leaders at that level, they have teams of people, you know, making their lives easier. Cause I imagine the demands of being at that level are pretty uh, strenuous. Well, that is great. Well, what about now? What are you doing? So I kind of, the word in entrepreneurship and in uh, technology, especially is pivoting when you have startups mm-hmm. and things like that. So oh, I, yes. I didn't do it. Uh, I pivoted a bit in the sense that I was I was, you know, getting older and I really wanted to do more of my own kind of travel and not be at the (laughs) beck and call of of all these dignitaries because it's pretty all consuming. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so now I, I wrote a book. So I wrote a book Uh... called Civil Rules that's based on my experience in the White House and the State Department and my career. And I also based it on George Washington's rules of civility, using that as a platform or a framework for discussing civility in our society. Um, then and and especially now. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I wanted to add that my husband is like the biggest fan of George Washington. And he was like quite a remarkable guy. And, you know, our founding fathers literally had skin in the game in the American Revolution. It, they were not just p- moving pawns. They had their personal fortunes at stake. So um, why? And, and if he was a farmer, so like, how how did he what was why was he writing about civility and why is that why do you think that's so relevant even today so he was a kid in school he's 16 years old and some people think it was a handwriting um exercise mm-hmm. that he had taken these um rules of civility and civil behavior decent behavior from a um a seven, a, an earlier centuries um French etiquette book that was okay. about educating the nobility and how to be noble, you know, how to be members of court, mm-hmm. high, high behavior. Well, he took those and rewrote them into English of the time. So they still, they sound kind of funny now to us mm-hmm. because the English has changed. <clears throat> I always use thou shalt not stand so close to a man. So as to bedew a man with one's spittle. <laughs> <laughs> So wow. in a That's in a post COVID world, I think that that be, we understand that a lot more than we might have um, right. appreciate that a lot more than we might have uh, a few years ago. So what's old is new again, and basically it's have the courtesy to stand just far enough away that you're not going to uh, this this the spray from your mouth that you're yes. speaking gets on the face of your your uh, person you're speaking to. So that makes a lot of sense. It's very functional, and I put that in the courteous bucket. Um, mm-hmm. 
when I looked at all of the different rules, there's 110 of them. And I literally put them in a spreadsheet and, and put cat, what category. And I started reading each one and saying, okay, what does this one really try to get across? I mean, they may, may be multiple things, but what, mm. what bucket would this fall into? And I came up with about five buckets and that's honor, um, empathy, humility, courtesy, trust, respect, dignity, those kinds of things. So that's how I ended up writing the book. Uh, it was, I actually started thinking about it as a children's book, which may come next, but mm -hmm. I ended up abandoning the children's book idea because it got so robust and a little bit more um, sophisticated in what I was doing. So I thought, you know, let's explore each of those concepts as components of civility that make up the whole. So, and then I added an umbrella that I call personal responsibility on top of that, um, that, that runs through all of it. That is a theme that runs through everything. Um, if we don't take responsibility for our actions and blame it on others, um, what changes, what, what chance for growth do we have? And I looked at this through the lens of, I'm not trying to tell other people how to live their lives. I was exploring the topic of civility for myself. And this is what I came up as what I consider a practice of civility that I employ as best I can, because I am human, just like everybody else. And the hardest times to do it are when we need to do it most. Oh, so true. So true. Well, let me ask you something, because, you know, post lockdown, a lot of people are feeling more awkward about face-to-face -face interactions, as you know. And, but I don't think they're asking themselves, how can I be more civil, but maybe some exposure to the concept of Civility can help mitigate that feeling of not knowing what to say or how close to stand to a person. What do you think? Um, I, I think if we look into the those concepts and think of them as a way of living, mm -hmm. that it makes it easier to make decisions about lots of different complex things. So when we're confronted with problematic situations, if we can train ourselves a bit to say, how do, how do I build trust here? How, how do I keep the trust? How do I um, honor this person? Even if I am, I feel, uh, I don't like the words triggered, but if I feel triggered or I feel angry, or I have a response, a physical, physiological response mm -hmm. to somebody's actions, you know, there, there are boundaries where we just say no, right. You know, that, there's physical um, boundaries where we we know we're just you can't cross those boundaries, and then there are other kinds of discussions and debate where we don't have to <clears throat> we don't have to be civil. Mm -hmm. I try to regardless, but you know this goes back to a thing that women are often taught to be nice, even in situations when we're when we might be having a little bit of stranger danger or we might be feeling in our gut that we need to not be so nice. Um, mm -hmm. so there, I just, I do believe there is a line that we, we have to sort of say, okay, but there's still actually a civil way of getting out of very difficult situations. And, um, you don't, you know, they, people need to know where we stand on things, but they, but not all the time. It's when it's only when to me, it's your physical safety, just because I, I have a thought about something doesn't need, doesn't mean that I have to share it with somebody or that they have to agree with me if I share it. They they are totally entitled to their own perspective on things. And I it may be, um, I think what we're where we get to more is that we're saying we're kind of putting these things in these buckets of yes, no, right, black and white, now or never. 
not that seeing so that there's a lot more gray in the world than, than mm-hmm. we like to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you def- define civility? Like, how do we need to be thinking about it? Because, you know, George Washington, that was a long time ago for 2022, 2023. Like, how, how, how would you recommend that we think about civility? So it's, it's kind of simply defined in the dictionary as like courteous behavior, um, you know, a way of talking to people that's polite, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It really doesn't go into the substantive depth that I look at it as. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm brilliant. It just means that I'm taking a perspective on it that's maybe digging a little deeper and looking at it more as a life philosophy than a transactional mm-hmm. definition or transaction. So courtesy that they focus on, on the dictionary a lot of times is, is to me is one avenue, one element of civility. It's, it's sort of like the, the bridge. Um, and I think of the golden gate bridge in my head when I see this, cause I live near San Francisco. So I think of the golden gate bridge and I think of the cars in all the years since it's been open that have gone across it from one side to the other. And that bridge connects two points right. two places that were very hard to get to without the bridge. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mean, it would have taken you know, a very long time to go all the way around the bay to get back to that one point if you didn't have that bridge. So, but the cars on the bridge are the traditions. I think of that they change over time. So the Model T that went over the bridge is not the same as the Prius that's going over Mm -hmm. the bridge today. So those things change. So some of our manners, some of our etiquette, some of our traditions change with time. But the fundamental premise of the goal is to get us from here to there Mm -hmm. is, is the same. And it's, it's to bring two, two points together. Mm-hmm. So just like a bridge does. So when, when I go back to some of these things and I have a hard time with something or someone, some situation, I'm, I try really hard to stop and go back to those fundamental premises. How can I treat this person with courtesy, even though they have been discourteous to me, maybe. Correct. Um, okay. You know, uh, and, and is, is an eye for an eye always the answer is that, you know, I, I do believe that rising above it, it, the bottom line is it, it can be seen as kind of a selfish act in the sense that I believe that joy and civility go hand in hand. And I, I say that for a, a kind of an in-depth reason, but one of the simple things is my middle name is joy. And I learned, okay. I had to embrace that about 10 years ago when all of this whole journey was starting and I finally embraced it. And once I did, I kind of, they were inextricably c- connected for me, the civility and joy concept that without civility, it's hard to be joyful. And without joy, it's hard to be civil. So they go back and forth with each other. So I try to bring joy to the world. I try to bring the civility to the world in hopes that I'm going to help one other person have a better day. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is being discourteous to me, it's really easy to want to get back at them. That's a right. Human nature want to say, what the heck, you know, Mm -hmm. and I do think we can stand up for ourselves. I'm not saying we need to be doormats at all. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying that there's a part of dignity here that we can rise above it and we can be the more intelligent being at that moment because emotions trump intelligence as far as reaction. Yes. Okay. If we can control our emotions just a bit to step back and see what's happening at at that moment. And maybe that person is in terrible pain. Most of the time, people that are ugly to us are suffering somehow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And that doesn't mm -hmm. give them the excuse to, it doesn't excuse them for poor treatment of other people, but it helps us have the empathy to understand that there's something more here. And maybe it's not just about me. 
Yeah. And really, are you sure about that? that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And other times it directly is, (laughs) but you know, either way, if you kind of go back to these premises of, am I being trustworthy? Am I treating people with respect? Am I being honorable in this process? Am I showing courtesy whenever possible? Those are the kinds of practices or elements of the practice that I find really ground me in my journey. Okay. That, that was a lot in that uh, <laughs> sentence, in that paragraph. So I want to just <laughs> recap some points, especially about joy and civility. And civility is really, it seems to me like it's having self-control, mastery of yourself, of your emotions, of not going down to someone else's level if they're being rude. And I think that when you... You may not be joyful in the moment that you are controlling your anger or, or irritation, but afterwards, you know, that's the, the thing that we all have to live with ourselves, right? And so that is where the joy comes when you're like, well, I wanted to punch him in the face. Maybe I was a little cold, but I wasn't rude. I was, you know, for me, civil or for me, you know, controlled in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it must start, like you said, it's a part of your life philosophy, which is your, you know, everyone's philosophy is their foundation. So how does that fit in? Like you want to just embody civility in the world. And, you know, when I, when it started to connect with me that I feel like, I guess I was making a difference in my world, you know, Mm -hmm. in my little sphere was when that people start sending me articles on civility or quotes and then like just today, I got something about joy. People send me things. This this has your name all over it. Those are, I mean, I that's a high compliment to me that, that people associate me with those two things. And it's also, I've created a, another high bar to, because, you know, if I'm ever rude. Yes. <laughs> you imagine? Yes. So, oh, so this, that, I that. set myself up a little bit here. <laughs> well, that's how I am with the typos. Like, oh, commun- doctrine, communication, and you can't even spell there. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even though well, you, if you think about it, we're part of a, a civility is the root of it is civic civil civilization. It's the core of everything. And we're part, we're not an Island. No, no man is an Island. So even when we're on alone on the internet, you know, interfacing on the internet, we're still connected to people literally, quite mm-hmm, literally. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is, this is even more important as society gets more complex and bigger and more cumbersome mm-hmm. and uh, the diversities converge and the convergence diver- diversify. And we have all of these different things, you know, individualism and then collectism. And how do we live in this society together? And especially in an American culture, Western culture of an individualistic culture, how do we maintain our own individual identities, which I firmly and strongly believe that we have individual rights and individual liberties and, and freedom of speech and all those kinds of things. And yet, how do we conduct ourselves within the, the confines of this civilization of this tribe that we live in called people, (laughs) humanity. Right. So how do you, so so let's say you're at a social gathering and someone says something that you find um, insulting or, you know, gross exaggeration that you just, that you want to set them straight. (laughs) So is that, does the civil approach just like, swallow just like yeah maybe you're right 
I didn't, I don't really agree or do, or, you know, like, how do you engage in that conversation or when do you, if you feel, cause it feels to me like nobody wants to open up their minds to the possibility that they could be wrong. That is called, that is the definition of humility right there. And that's a core element of where we have to come from is a place of humility to say, okay, I really disagree with this person on what they're saying, but I, you know, I don't know everything. And all I have is my own experience and my own perspective and my own little window on the world that I'm looking through. And I could be wrong. I don't, I don't think I'm wrong, but I could be. So just, you have to have that component in there that, that keeps you centered and humble to be able to not react mm-hmm. or overreact to the situation. Um, and obviously politics is very hot topic these mm-hmm. days, but I mean, it's all the good old, good, good old things, you know, re- religion and politics and all that kind of stuff. What I mean, else those is things- there to talk about? That's interesting. <laughs> exactly. right? And I love talking politics. Yeah. I love it, but I, I like, I, I don't mind, you know, and I, a friend of mine said, we probably don't need to not talk about this. And I, because we disagreed and I said, I totally disagree with that. I think we should talk about this because we disagree. Right. And it's just a matter of how we talk about it. It's not that we shouldn't or that we, we, we can't. I mean, I don't want to have, especially with friends, I don't want, want to have a space that we can't talk about something open and honestly, but you know, I might choose my words to know that there's a sensitivity. If I'm being em- empathetic or empathic, I, I want to choose my words so they can hear me, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we always look at what they're doing and say, oh, they're not choosing their words. Well, okay. I can't right. control. Right. That's not in my control. I might be able to help change that by how I react or how I carry myself. That's the only mm-hmm. control we have. So look, and it's very hard to do sometimes when you can just feel it inside you, when you feel like you've been insulted or something and you can just physically feel it. So to, when you do feel it, it's, that's where, you know, if you're into meditation or in any kind of sort of holistic learning, et cetera, people talk about being centered. They talk mm-hmm. about concentrating on breathing. I mean, there's all sorts of techniques. Take a deep breath before you speak. I mean, there's literally things you can do physiologically to yourself to calm yourself down, change your state, pinch yourself, do something to get yourself back into your body and then address the situation. If it is so disturbing to you, I mean, there are definitely topics that are so disturbing, but I would venture to say that 99% of the topics that we argue about today really aren't that disturbing if you really get down to it, because, and then the other part is to find the common humanity, find our commonalities where we agree on something. So if you have a, a high hot button topic, mm-hmm. political topic, and you're on opposite sides of it, where mm-hmm. can you find the, the commonality? Where mm-hmm. can you find where you agree? And then say, yeah, and that's maybe where my, my, where I fall on this side of that line is that I, you know, I agree with you on that, but perhaps I'm a little more conservative or a little more liberal on that, something like that. And, and it doesn't have to be an argument. You can still get your point across, but you know, everybody wants to get their point across. Right. So, so everybody wants to feel heard. Everybody wants to feel listened to. And, and so if you've got that go, going, basically listening would be a really good way to start. Yeah, listening. And I think I really like how you touched on finding common ground. To me, that's the beginning. And maybe you teach this as a way of disagreeing. Let's say that you think that the tax rate should be higher, which is obviously wrong. And I think (laughs) that the tax rate should be the same or lower. 
And but we could agree that maybe the deficit is really scary and that we agree that spending is out of control and, you know, we just have different. So we could agree on that yeah. part. And we could, I also think on a macro level, most of my friends, whether we're conservative or, or liberal, ag- agree on that we everybody wants uh, um, safe neighborhoods. They want right. they want good schools, solid schools, safe schools. They want um, they want and be able to afford an, a house for their family. They they'd like to be able to take a vacation occasionally. They'd like to uh, have grandchildren or fa- children in their lives. They'd like to, you know, the all and these human ba- dignity value that you know. I think that's another thing that and we can gets- all agree on it gets to how do we achieve that? Mm-hmm. And that's where we may differ on how that is achieved. Right. And that there are extremes that make it really hard to find that common ground. And that's, then you might, you might just have to agree to disagree. And, oh, and absolutely. I have yeah. a fight about it, you know? Exactly. And, I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it gets down to, to me, I kind of ask how much do I care about this relationship. Mm-hmm. So if it's fleeting, if it's, you're never going to see him again, we tend to be um, more inclined to, to just ruffle feathers because, um, because it's easy because we're never going to see him again, but why bother then? Why do that? Why put right. that in the world? And then if you really care about the relationship, then why would you pick a fight? Why would you want to fight? Why would you, why would you not want to try to work through it if you really care about the relationship? So that it, to me, there's no, re- that just nullifies the reason to have a big fight regardless. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and it I doesn't, love it. Feel good. it doesn't, it doesn't bring joy. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. It, you know, it may be there's that instant where you're just letting them know how you feel. And then you just feel sick later. It's just terrible. Yeah. That's even complaining does that. Um, so <laughs> exactly. you know, Shelby, is social media helping us be more civil or less civil? I think it's helping us be less civil, unfortunately. Um, but again, we are in control of our actions. And so there are both techniques and philosophies that we can put into play that can help us do that. So if we are, are addicted to our screens, which many of us are, we can, I only, I realize that I, in my feeds, I only see positive things. And that doesn't mean I don't get the news headlines, but I I don't get all of the, the nasty stuff that's highly partisan on both sides that I don't, I just don't subscribe and I don't prescribe. I don't. So I, I want to be educated on these things mm-hmm. from both sides, particularly mm-hmm. with, um with politics, but I don't, let that enter my world as much as possible. So um, controlling the controllables, right? What, right. what, what's it you're in control of? And we are in control of our destiny as far as our interaction with social media, with children, young children. And I am not a parent and, but I am, I'm an aunt and a mm-hmm. godmother and I love mm-hmm. kids and I have watched them grow up and, and I can see the impact that it has had on them versus what it's had on us mm-hmm. and the short attention spans, all these things that, that happen. I, I think that we there, I hope actually that there's sort of a repercussion in a good way of pulling back on some of this stuff and um, using it for what it, for the good that it can do and not mm-hmm. the poison that it can spread. So limit your use of social media. It's not that you need to get off of it completely, mm-hmm. but definitely take take control. So it seems like this theme of 
Civility is really like exercising, being more proactive, taking on more responsibility where you have influence. So you have inspired me, Shelby Scarborough, to be more civil. How can I do that? So there's a couple of easy ways to do it. You know, when we when uh, I know our audience is a lot of corporate um, yes. executives. And so if they can, if they do meetings, there's a good example. Of ways to do the simple ways to do it in a meeting would be um, I belong to this organization called the Entrepreneurs Organization, and uh, the similar organization is YPO, Young President. So mm-hmm, many mm-hmm. of your yes. uh, listeners may be familiar. And so if they are, then they know about this, which is that uh, starting a forum meeting, which is a small sort of group of, of the members, um, if you're in a meeting, letting everybody have their say completely and fully. Um, not cutting someone off, letting everybody in the room have an opportunity to participate. You know, when I was the chairman of the board of the entrepreneurs organization, the, the board sat at the table and the staff sat around the outside of the table and they never used, the staff never used to speak. But I went around the room and, and asked every single person when we went through a subject, do you have anything to add? And we also had our rules, rule of not repeating what somebody said, but you could concur. I concur with somebody or I disagree with somebody, but not repeating it. So mm-hmm. I, I, I concur with what they said and I want to add this or I concur and I'm done, you know, and just so you could find where the consensus was and all of that kind of thing. So building that rapport in the meeting room, order, orderly agendas are helpful mm-hmm. to not waste people's mm-hmm. time. And I, we like to start with a one word open and a one word close. And it's so amazing to me how easily that gets you kind of right centered on what the mood in the room is, what the attitude of each individual is. And then when you end the meeting, typically you see a shift. If you've done mm-hmm. it well, you see people taking the deep breath, saying that they're feeling much better. They're, you know, what their one word goes from, you know, stressed to relieved or from, you know, busy to productive or those kinds of things. You see these shifts. So it's a way to read the room and help guide a manager in how to, who they need to go talk to and address in in situations where maybe somebody's still stressed at the end of a meeting. And so, or they're feeling, they're feeling put upon or they're feeling whatever it happens to be. You can go address that on a one-on-one rather than mm-hmm. tearing apart the whole meeting. And the other aspect in the meeting is uh, that is a really great philosophy and life philosophy, which is sharing experiences versus sharing opinions. So, you know, many of the things that we put out there as opinions, I mean, excuse me, as beliefs or, or facts Our are really beliefs. Yes. Yes. And we, we, the area of that, that line has gotten a little muddled and um, it might be better to be more defined that we understood ourselves when we were speaking our truth versus Mm -hmm. the truth Mm -hmm. and whether we were speaking an opinion and giving advice versus sharing an experience because most people, entrepreneurs in particular, which my crowd is very heavily uh, leans towards, but nobody likes to be told what to do. No, Nobody. nobody. And so when we, in a meeting, if we are talking through or any kind of communication with anybody, instead of saying, you should, we say, you should, we, I don't want to shit on you. Don't shit on me. <laughs> so so yeah. it's a, in a meeting is it's more like, or in an internet or in a coffee with a friend, instead of saying, well, you should do this. And why aren't you doing that? And I mean, can, can you just feel how you would just get defensive yes. immediately, even I, if it's 
good advice and accurate right yeah yeah. (laughs) it still doesn't set up the dynamic for a positive interaction so being able to say in my experience uh you know i use like marriage and divorce or something Mm -hmm. no marriage is ever the same no divorce is ever the same but the two words are there's one word for each of those things right so but a marriage for you is very different for a marriage for somebody else. I mean, mm-hmm, they're very mm-hmm. different. And so to, to generalize on what the answer is for that person's situation is, is too, it's too general. And it's, it doesn't respect that they have situations and concerns and, and details that they need to work through. So one size doesn't fit all when it comes to advice. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good way I found to, to enter into a conversation with somebody would be to say, I'm going to share an experience with you. And if this resonates great, and if it not, if it doesn't, let's talk about why. And maybe we can come to, you know, we can help get you to another stage. Okay. But, so the, these are two great communicate, civil communication tips. So the, the one yes. about the word, I just want to make sure I understand that everybody, everybody in the meeting shares one word about how they're feeling at the beginning and at the end. So that's a great way to kick off a meeting and and it, and you get a reading and you can also do that easily with in the chat with virtual uh, yes. that, that one word out. And then instead of sharing, you know, the, you know, your point of view, which you are very convinced that is true and maybe it is true, uh, you share it, what you have observed or what you have experienced and mm-hmm. and, and, and and take it from there. Or own why, or own the why you think that, why you think that way. And that's not up to me to, to challenge your why. Right, right. It, it, it is your why. So, so that's, but it helps me understand where you're coming from. Okay. I like that. I like that. It's really, because I, I also, you know, I have a, I've had thousands of coaching conversations with all high performers and I sense a trend that I, cause I'm hearing more often that people are afraid to express themselves. They're afraid to say their opinions because it's not politically correct or not shared or something. What, so what do you say about that situation? Yeah. You know, in a workplace, it's unfortunately gotten a little treacherous uh, to, to, say the, that you might say the wrong thing because we've politicized language so much and we've, it, it's, and I find that to be a travesty. It, it makes me very sad because there's a, a bigger swath for communication than the five words that are in today right. and or that are out today. And we, as a society, you know, we, we can think of like th- through segregation and things, we can think of words that we definitely all probably agree are not good words. Um, but it's changing and it's changing rapidly now and people don't know what the rules are. So, I mean, like yesterday it was this and today now I can't say that. And I, I you know, um, so that's a little frustrating. And I think it's, we're a little overboard on it in society, but again, this is my personal mm-hmm. view mm-hmm. and I may be wrong mm-hmm. that it's overboard. However, your, your question was, how do we deal with it? And all I can say is how I deal with it, which mm-hmm. is I look at it in the sense of, Again, am I, is this something I need to challenge or not? And okay, the reason if I, if I feel really strongly about something, then I need to find my words. Just when we tell a small child who's having a tantrum, you know, find your words, use your words. I need to find the right words to communicate what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking um, with regards to a situation that will allow the person to hear what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, as, at least as, 
as as much as you are able to because you know it's a two-way street and communication is not coercion you can you can you can do a lot to, mm-hmm. to pave the way to prime the paint but you cannot of course force it so yeah i think i like that idea of choose like choose your battle like is it worth <laughs> it to uh you know bring up this situation or this topic or this sensitivity or lack of sensitivity is it worth it or is it not and you might not always get it right, but well, and is it my place to correct everybody on their behavior? Yes. But well, what if you feel like somebody says, well, the, that joke you made about President Biden, I found that very offensive. And yes. And I would say, I'm sorry if I offended you. Um, I didn't I, it wasn't meant to be personally offensive to anybody. It was a joke. And, and perhaps it was, you know, not something that you found funny. I understand that. Okay. But that doesn't mean that I have the, I have the, you know, this, there, this trend towards cancel culture where we're going to cancel you if you say something that's wrong. Again, I, I, I think that there's a potential whiplash to that because uh, what goes around comes around and the, the people who feel empowered to cancel somebody now because of what's hip or in or righteous at the moment, that changes. That's like the cars on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And right. that changes over time. So they may find themselves on, on the wrong side of the track on something on that kind of thing. And, and I think we just got to be careful. We, ha- we have to be careful, not about not offending somebody, but about, again, it's all about our personal practice. So it's, it's mm-hmm. about what we're judge we're putting judgment on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for what we are judging and right. all we, again, that's all we have control over is our own behavior, not somebody else's. Exactly. So I want everybody listening. I know you all these the people that are listening are super smart. They are amazing, high performers, hard workers, and they all want, you know, to be more civil and, and to enjoy a more civil society. Right. And that takes every single person listening to this to just raise the bar on yourself. Right. And be a little bit more gracious, uh, a little bit more calm and patient and choose, you know, choosing not to get annoyed, even if the other person really is an idiot. I mean, that's, that's fine. They, they, people can be dumb. (laughs) There's no law against that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I, I'm exaggerating. Although I I could be right. I could be wrong, but uh, you know, just because somebody says something that is, even if it's apparently wrong, I mean, is it worth it to educate them or not? And are you the right person to deliver that message anyway? Yeah. And I, we can get into very specific situations and that w- that's fun things in a workshop is to go down that, that rabbit hole of, you know, what if somebody's stealing? Okay. So what, what do you do? Do you do anything? Do you not do anything? I think it, it's, it's, everything is contextual. Everything is based on the circumstances because you know, you could try to stop somebody from stealing something and get shot. <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. So what's, where's the, where do you, where's the boundaries? And that's what we're looking for is where are our boundaries? And that seems to be the most confusing thing at this point for a lot of people, especially of an older generation trying to adjust to a new way of talking, a new way of looking through different lenses who they don't mean badly they don't they but, but oh absolutely yes it's not right to say anymore and it and they, they didn't get the memo you know and, right. and now it's being chastised for it or or and so I think having a little bit of grace and patience is a, a really great quality in a person yes I, I I agree and 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 thinking that even if someone 
offends you that yeah maybe you know who knows what's going on inside their head it is very unlikely that it was intentional and most most <laughs> things aren't most yeah, people and if they, it was intentional then you know pobrecito <laughs> yeah like it's shame on them you know yeah so i mean they have issues that you can't solve so yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. and just move on i mean there is a, a fair amount of turn the other cheek in this and that is really hard to do when you, you really just want to lambast somebody for making you feel badly or for doing something. My biggest thing for me is when I see some, uh, something done poorly to somebody else, when I mm -hmm. see somebody else treated poorly, I really want to jump in and, and be the mother hen and say, how dare you? Right. And I have, I have for sure. Mm -hmm. I have, uh, I might now, you know, since I've been working on this philosophy and since I've been practicing it, I might do it a little differently now. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's a tough call. And also, you know, the person that let's say is being somewhat bullied and it's, and it's an adult, maybe that person needs to learn to be more assertive or something. I mean, maybe, mm -hmm. yeah. and, and maybe you're not the right person to teach that lesson, or maybe you yeah. are. I'm not, not I mean, I've been called assertive in my day. I don't have, you know, that you can be that, but you don't have to be rude. Right. You right. Proactive. You know, I, uh, getting it's thinking in the workplace about getting in front of your boss or your colleagues or selling your idea or speaking up in a mm -hmm. meeting. Absolutely. And doing it in a way that people hear you is going to be more successful than in a way that people close their ears because they're like, oh, brother, what, what's they, what is this person? Yes. Droning about? on about. Yes. Well, and I will just throw this out as a reminder that when you have something that you're a little nervous about saying, is to pose it as a question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what were you thinking about when, you know, this just sounded a little off to me or, you know, do you really. Would this be a possible solution? Right. Would this be a possible solution instead of, I think you should. Right. Would this be a possible solution? That's a good takeaway. Well, we are running out of time. I, I, um, this has been so invigorating, bracing. I like, I just read the new word, not new, but I haven't heard it in a while, a bracing conversation. Oh. So before we go and, and I let you tell people how they can find your book and get in touch with you, if they want to do some civility work, even though you're in the entrepreneurial space, um, we, we want to get to know Shelby, the person a little bit. So where did you go on your last vacation? I, where did I just go? Um, I, Norway. Oh, wow. We just published a book about my grandfather. And so we went, he was the first, um, aviator to attempt to fly solo around the world. Oh, and wow. so his, the, the family, my sisters and my uh, cousins and I all just published a book about him. And we went to the landing place of the first stop in Norway, where he landed on that, on that first round the world, on the round the world trip. And we met people who, who it was fantastic. We met the grandchildren and I'm a grand, the grandchild. So right. we met the grandchildren are all our age who still live on that Island. And, and in the house that he spent the night in, that was exactly the way it was in 1932 when he flew through there. Really oh crazy. It was amazing. Gosh. What a cool trip. That's awesome. What yeah. is your favorite dessert? Probably a uh, homemade strawberry shortcake. That's probably, mm, that does I'm sound a good. sucker for the shortcake. <laughs> oh, I love it. What about your favorite store? My favorite store. Oh my gosh. How about my own? 
Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll take it. Plug. <laughs> <laughs> I have an, uh, I have an on, online e-commerce site called joyjourney.life. And it's all about bringing joy to the world and through, you know, products and things that are just that remind us to be joyful. That awesome. Help. That's wonderful. That <laughs> sounds like a fabulous store. Say the name again, Joy. Joyjourney.life. Joyjourney.life. Very cool. What is your favorite type of music? Uh, cla- classical guitar, pick, picking guitar. I used to play the guitar a lot and I, I was a picker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love, I love to hear acoustic guitar. Okay. Uh, your favorite movie genre. Oh, I'm probably a sucker for romantic comedies. Okay. <laughs> um, I, we saw, I saw one recently that was old. That was good, but I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'll send it to you. It was really charming. Um, your personal style, and that can be as in personality or approach to life or your clothes or the way you present yourself to the world. But what, how would you describe your personal style? Well, I, I, I always, I say that, you know, I go into to stores and people come up to me and say, can I have this in a size six? And then I go on a plane and people would ask me if they could have a cup of coffee and, or where the bathrooms were in some place. And, and, and when I'm at an event at Disneyland, I mean, everywhere, you just name it, people would come up to me and ask me, like, I should know, or like <laughs> I worked in something. And I used to, when I was younger, it used to bother me because I was like, I don't work here. Why do they think that? But I, it didn't take long before I embraced that as a, as a, as almost a gift, like, and somebody um, said, I mean, people have said that 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 shows approachability or that the translation of that might be approachability. So I like that. I'll accept that. And I would like to think that I'm an approachable person. Awesome. All right. What were you afraid of when you were young? Ooh, um, probably not much. Uh, You know what? I same thing. I'm still afraid of walking into a room of people I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God! Well. You're in good company. We all was uh, uh, that was my first networking event. I this was a long, long, long time ago. I didn't know what networking was, but I went to an event and I just peered into this room of full of people having a fabulous time. And exactly. I was like, I I don't know anybody here. And I went exactly. Home. So, That's how I think I ended up working at the White House. Was that shyness in a way was was because I hated salami sandwiches. And I was with 2000 youth volunteers painting signs and they brought in these salami sandwiches. And I, I was like, I can't eat this. I, I don't like them. Plus then what am I going to do? Cause I'm not eating. So what am I going to just gonna sit and stare at everybody? So I got on, the <laughs> other, <laughs> got on the other side of the table and started handing out the salami with the group that was organizing mm-hmm. the groups. So I became kind of the go-to, you know, intern there and, and less than a month later, I was working at the white house. And I really do attribute it to sort of it in kind of a trip, a serendipitous right. thing about that actually was because of my shyness. All right. All the introverts who are shy out there, it can pay off, right? In yeah. Unexpected ways. So Shelby, this has been delightful. How can people find your book? Well, the store joyjourney.life. Um, yeah. The book is there. They can go to Amazon. Um, it's called Civility Rules. And they can go to shelbyscarbro.com. And, the, and the, that book's there as well as my grandfather's book, Undaunted, the, the extraordinary story of the first aviator to attempt to fly solo around the world. It's really 
a, a great leadership story. And I do leadership talks on that and, and things like awesome. that. Because it's an amazing maybe, story. Maybe they'll make a movie out of it. That's, that's what we're working on. <laughs> we're oh, working powerful. That's been very, that's so exciting. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure. I know everybody is uh, very motivated to be more civil and make the world a better place. Thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode.